Good morning, and a very warm welcome to Barclay Viewforth Church this morning. It's great that you can join us both here in the building and also online. And a very special welcome to the Jeffrey family, I think down there as well. Um, today, during the service, we will be having a tribute to Eric Jeffrey. Remember Eric, Reverend Eric Jeffrey used to sit behind the organist because he was such a, a keen music lover. Um, so there will be an opportunity for us to say a proper farewell to Eric. So you're very welcome. Our notices for today. Next Sunday is our quarterly, well, roughly quarterly, Communion Sunday. Um, so if you're going to be in the building, you don't need to bring your own bread and wine this time. It will be given out in carefully COVID safety regulations and so on. But if you're watching at home, I'm sorry, you'll have to provide your own bread and wine. But don't forget to put your clocks back an hour. Because if you turn up here at 10 o'clock next Sunday, we might not be here yet. And news of a service coming up on the 7th of November, and there's actually a lot happening that day. It's our COP26 service, and it will be led by Julie and members of the congregation. And we look forward to adding our contribution to the climate change conversation. I also wanted to let you know of something else that will be happening in December. Over the last 20 months, it has been difficult for us to say a proper farewell to family and friends, which is why we're doing this tribute to Eric in the service today. However, we also haven't had the opportunity to remember our organist, Andrew Robertson. We had planned a, um, a service, a Thanksgiving service last December, and then we all went into lockdown again, so we weren't able to hold it. <clears throat> But Saturday the 4th of December at 5.30, in line with Andrew's absolute love of Christmas, and you might remember him sitting at the organ in his Christmas jumpers and so on. So you're invited to wear your Christmas jumpers and your tinsel and everything else and come as we celebrate the life of someone whose life was taken far too soon. Please join us that day if you're able. We come now to worship God, and we'll start with praying together. Let's pray. Father, as we gather in this place and online, we bow our heads before you. We praise you this day, knowing that our hearts may be heavy with the need of your forgiveness. So we confess our sins, and ask that you will restore us to the people you would have us be. But we also take time to praise and thank you with the words of Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars 
which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? We thank you for your goodness to us and pray that we might meet you in this time of worship today. We pray these things in Jesus' name and in the words that you have taught us as a church family to say, and the words are on the screen if you need them. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. We now come to the part in the service where we are going to have this musical tribute to Eric Jeffrey. And to explain a little bit about it, I'm going to invite his son David to come and speak. Thank you, Lane. I want to say hello. You can see on the screen Eric. And if you've been coming here for many, many years, you might recognize me as well. I've been coming on Christmas Day, but I'm actually going to another church, P's and G's. Eric was a member of the church here for about a quarter of a century. He retired from Berkeley, uh, sorry, he retired from Bristol Memorial, Craig Miller, and then he came here. And before he was at uh, Bristol, he was the minister in Dalmeny, and while he was the minister at Dalmeny, he also became the minister at Abercorn. So two congregations two Kirk sessions, two church buildings, two parishes. And at the time, the presbytery thought it was best to have one minister for South Queensferry, the town, and another minister for both country parishes. And before that, since the mid-1950s to the end of the 1960s, he was the minister in Malawi, in the Church of Central Africa Presbyterian my parents actually met each other here in Edinburgh just at the end of Eric's very long training to go out to Africa. So he was at St. Combs College, and my mum, Carol, who's here today, she had been teaching in Ghana, although it was called the Gold Coast before independence, and she came back to Scotland to more training. They got engaged, and then Eric left to go on the boat out to Africa, and the following year, my mum joined him there, and they got married in the CCAP, the Church of Central Africa Presbyterian. And the following year, I was born in a little place called Equindeni. And my brother, Gordon, who lives in Italy, was born in a little place called Livingstonia, which is named after David Livingstone, the first person from Scotland to visit Maui. My brother, Peter, who lives in Fife, was also born in Livingstonia. And my brother Richard, who is over there, he was, um, his name's Richard Eric Jeffrey. He was born in Equindeni, like me. And Richard wrote the poem that we're going to have sung to us, that Stephen's going to sing for us. Uh, when my dad retired, 
he and my mum had to leave the manse and they went to live in Gillespie Crescent. And Eric came along here and joined the parish church. And my mum was able to go to church where she wasn't the minister's wife, so which is why you haven't seen her here so much. Now, one of the first things Eric did when he joined the church here was he went back to school. And you can see here a picture. I hope you can see the headline. The new boy in school is the father of six. And I've just explained that there were four boys. My two sisters were not born in Malawi. They were born in Scotland. Rachel lives in Sussex and Janet lives in Germany. And you can also see in this picture Eric with his classmates. And he's half a century older than them. And he went to the specialist music school to do a music A-level. And you can see him with his double bass. He and his pals played in a jazz band called the Sunshine Band. They used to play in old people's homes, at uh, lunch clubs, all sorts of things. And Eric played his double bass in several orchestras. And I think Murray first met my dad playing the Scottish Symphonia many years ago. And Colin, who's playing the cello, he also has played with Eric. And the reason why he went to the specialist music school was because he wanted to do an A-level in music. And he did that in one year. And uh, he wanted to do that because he wanted to learn more about music theory and music composition. And he used to write music with sheets of music paper. And then earlier this century, someone told him if he got a computer he might be able to use a piece of software called Sibelius, and that would be able to be like a word processor for sheet music. So he did that, and Sibelius is an interesting feature. In addition to being able to print out nice, nice, neat music, it can also play back your music. So he had an idea of what it would sound like a little bit, a bit like Stephen Hawking's voice sounds a bit like a human being, but doesn't sound like a human being at all. It sounds like a computer this playback in Sibelius doesn't really sound very musical, but it gives you an idea of a chord. And my dad liked poetry, and sometimes what he would do was he'd try and set a poem that he liked to music. A few years ago, Murray organised a musical evening here in the church. There were lots and lots of pieces of music. Three of my dad's pieces were there, and Stephen, who's singing today, he actually sang this piece. And my dad was absolutely thrilled because for the first time he actually heard real musicians with real instruments and a real singer sing his piece of music and he was revising his will he wanted to include his newest grandson Alex and while he was doing that he updated his his wishes of what would happen after he died and he wanted you to hear this music he didn't want a memorial service. He didn't want a eulogy. didn't want any fuss. And in case you're wondering, I'm not giving a eulogy. I'm just telling you about the music. But if you want to chat to me afterwards, I'll be around and very happy to reminisce with you about Eric. So he really didn't want any fuss. What he did want is you, his fellow congregation, his brothers and sisters in Christ, who he's been with for a quarter of a century, had fellowship with, 
when you're thinking, oh, he's died, he wants you to listen to this music and to ponder the words of the poem, which will be up on the screen. And if you want to read them again, you'll be able to get them from the church website. So over to Murray and the musicians. Thank you. That was a very fitting and lovely tribute to Eric in his own music. 
Um, we're going to remember the family and others who have lost loved ones uh, as part of our prayers for others. Father God, we come before you now knowing that you are listening, waiting with love and understanding to hear from us. We ask you to be with the Jeffrey family, remembering Carol and all the family. May they have received comfort, knowing that so many are thinking of them. Your love is all-encompassing. Please send your strength to surround them and protect them. May they feel uplifted by you. Heavenly Father, please be with all those who have lost loved ones over the past two years, especially those who have not had the opportunity to say a proper farewell. May they too feel the peace that comes from your loving embrace. Father, so many people are struggling to make their way in our troubled world today. Often they must feel part of a society that doesn't notice their need. Please be with all those dedicated individuals and organisations who strive every day to help in a practical way. Yet we must never forget the power of prayer and we can all play our part in that. Can I ask you to be with the congregation of Barclay Viewforth? Bless our ministry team and the work they do to nurture faith. Help us all to look after each other as Jesus taught us. Illness and grief are often times when we need each other most. And we thank you for all those who reach out to others and share your love and healing. Help us to remember to share our good times and our joy with you too. Be with us all as we seek to grow young and look to the future with gladness in our hearts. So many things we ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. The reading today is from Ruth chapter 3, reading from verses 1 to 14. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley 
on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, and don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and he was in good spirits, he, he went to lie down in the, at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kindness, the kindness is greater than that which he showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but he got up before anyone else could be recognized, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Thanks be the words of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my God. Amen. So... If the word mother-in-law is mentioned, I'm sure it raises a smile or perhaps even a grimace on some faces. In fact, you're probably waiting for the joke. Most mother-in-laws, though, are well-meaning. Although, I have to say, my husband Chris might groan at me saying, hmm, (laughs) not sure about that. Hi, Mum, if you're watching. I'm a mother-in-law too. And I, I was speaking to our daughter, daughter-in-law, Anna, last night. Our son, Matthew, was on the call as well, but he was yawning his head off because he'd had a long shift yesterday. Fortunately, Anna kept the conversation going. And she is an amazing young woman, someone that I would do anything for, as I would for my son and my daughter too, and the rest of the family. However, when we look at the relationship between Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, in the reading we've just had, I have to wonder if I would ever have taken things that far. Let me see. I'm rather hoping that I never have to. But we have to remember... We live in vastly different times, different culture, different society, different societal norms. And things have changed so much in the intervening centuries. In today's reading, we have a challenging story about Ruth. 
It's not one we would rush to do a dramatic exposition of, otherwise we may have needed a parental guidance on our YouTube uh, clip. So our story starts one day, and we find Naomi having a chat with Ruth, sharing her plan for helping her find a new husband. We're not sure what Ruth thinks of all of this, but she, she agrees to go along with it. Ruth bathes and heads out in all her finery, and it's a change from the widow's weeds or the widow's clothing that she'd probably been wearing. And she then has to approach the threshing room floor and watch Boaz and his friends eat. Now, Naomi, I think, is already sharing the benefit of her experience in not asking a man to do anything before he has been fed. Very wise. However, Ruth had been told to go and uncover his feet and lie down. Now, this could be seen as a controversial verse, with some commentators stating that it's a euphemism for sexual contact, while others state that there is no evidence for this. And in many ways, it doesn't tie in with what we've seen in the rest of the story in Ruth, which shows Ruth as a kind and worthy woman, a woman of integrity. However, Ruth follows the instructions given by her mother-in-law. Once Boaz had gone to lie down, Ruth took up her position at his feet. Now, laying at the feet of Boaz, that was a moment when she might have felt totally unprotected. She could have been exploited, abused, or seen by others and marked as a term we don't use very much nowadays, but as a harlot. Ruth was risking everything. So how does Boaz respond? Well, he stirs during the night and he is aware that there's someone there. And he asks the question, who are you? because obviously it's pitch black, no street lights or anything, or lighting up a room. Ruth replies, humbling herself before him, and asks him to cover her with his garment. Now, some commentators on this passage say that this is tantamount to a proposal from Ruth to Boaz. But alternatively, some versions of Scripture, including the, the ESV, the English Standard Version, translate this verse as, spread your wings over your servant. And the symbolism of the wings should not pass unnoticed. Because when we think of wings, we think of big birds and the strength that they have in those wings to raise up in the air but also the gentleness as they cover their young in the nest. Ruth is, in effect, asking Boaz for his protection. And this echoes the comments Boaz made in chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. 
may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So, to even get to that stage, Ruth must have had a real feeling inside her that she could trust Boaz. She had already been in receipt of his kindness previously in the fields, and perhaps she saw something in him which allowed her to feel safe. Boaz, a man, acts with self-restraint, and his protection of Ruth begins properly from this point that evening, even to the point of sending her away early the next morning so that she won't be seen by others causing tongues to wag. So, I have a question. Is Ruth's encounter with Boaz on the threshing floor and all the questions it might raise the real story to take away today? Or is there something deeper? Well, I have to suggest there's something deeper. In fact, I've found at least three things. I'm only going to share the three with you just now. The first one is, I think that looking at the phrase, which has cropped up a couple of times during the the book of Ruth, guardian or kinsman redeemer. Now, redeemer is goel in Hebrew. And that, that Hebrew word for guardian redeemer is actually a legal term. It's a legal term for one who has the obligation to redeem a relative who was in serious difficulty, in danger, or in need of assistance. The kinsman redeemer is usually a male relative who, according to the laws given by God through Moses, has the privilege and the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble. And in this case, it's because Ruth's husband died. That law, or several laws relating to the subject, is written in Deuteronomy 25. And we're just going to look at a couple of verses from there just now. Because verses 5 and 6 say, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And take time later on to read chapter 25. There are some amazing rules and regulations. But in order to determine who the kinsman redeemer actually is, there's actually a, like a pecking order. Because first of all, the brother. Or if there's no brother, the uncle or the cousin, or a close clan relative of the deceased would be next in line to look after the widow. Boaz himself must have been high up that pecking order because we learn later in this chapter that there is only one other close relative. And we'll find out more about what happens there from uh, uh, next week in chapter 4. 
Naomi has already mentioned the fact that Boaz is a relative, a kinsman. And Mayer's commentary on this passage suggests that according to the old Hebrew law, Ruth was technically already married to Boaz on the supposition that he was the next of kin. Now, Naomi obviously knew the law, and her comments to Ruth imply that she knew of no other near relative. Boaz will eventually redeem Ruth, and the fact that he works hard at looking after her, feeding her, her safety, her integrity, is testament to the care and concern that he has for her. He is an honorable man. Because of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the lineage of Elimelech was not cut off from the genealogy and would eventually include King David and even Jesus in its genealogy. So the second takeaway actually ties in with what we're trying to develop through our growing young process. Naomi was an older person with lots of life experience. We might say she was wise and she wanted to impart that knowledge to the younger woman. Now, she didn't get it right all the time, especially as she almost tried to wrest control of the situation out of God's hand rather than wait on him. But there's even a learning experience in that, one which can be shared. So, as part of our growing young, we are called as mature people, some of us are young mature people, to share with the younger people. And I don't just mean the children and teenagers, but the younger families and so on, share with them, sharing our life's experiences and offering advice. Um, Can I suggest that perhaps you don't offer advice about uh, getting married off though? Leave that to the young people to sort that themselves. But in turn, the younger people and the children can share their experiences, their experiences of life with us. And that can be quite exciting. Even if it's only them showing us how to turn on an iPad or how to sort out the remote controls. These bonds are created that will help us all to grow. and to help us grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God. And then we come to the third takeaway. And it's the red thread. You see, when we look at Scripture, as um, it, when, in recent months when we've been looking at Scripture, we've always been looking for the red thread, the part which goes through a story which leads us to Jesus. He is the red thread running throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, with every chapter having at least some type of reference to Jesus. And you might be thinking, okay, so where is it here? Well, the reference could be direct or it might be indirect. Sometimes we have to look close to find it. And it's there in this chapter and the next. You see, Boaz was a forerunner to Jesus. He was a kinsman redeemer, there to rescue his extended family. He showed love and kindness to Ruth. Jesus, who 
is a descendant, obviously from God, but from the line of Boaz, Elimelech. Jesus is the redeemer for all of us. Every one of us. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, summed it up well in one sermon where he refers to Jesus is our beautiful Boaz. Jesus has paid the price for us, a price that came through his death on a cross, but a price that he was willing to pay because he is our Redeemer. He loves us. We're reminded in Romans 3 that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by this grace, by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus wants to take us under his wings to love and protect us. We just have to say yes to him so that we can find shelter and protection. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this story that points to the greatest love story of all, that Jesus, our beautiful Boaz, came to redeem us from our sin and rebellion and return us to a full relationship with you. Help us to trust only in Jesus to be rescued, redeemed, and restored into a new, transformed life that shows your light to all. Amen. We finish our service today with a hymn which reminds us of who our Redeemer is. There is a Redeemer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you within the service, within the kingdom, kids, and online. 
We thank you that, and pray that your word would continue to speak to us, not just now, but in this day and in the rest of the week. We pray your blessing on all our children and their leaders and help them, Lord, to draw close to you and help us as we try to help and advise younger people too. And now may we go out into this day knowing that God has a plan for us, that Jesus, our Redeemer, goes with us and that the Holy Spirit empowers us to face each and every day. Amen.